Hey, just a heads up. The episode you're about to listen to is about Bram Stoker's Dracula, directed by Francis Ford Coppola and written by James V. Hart and Bram Stoker. If you'd like to learn more about the movie discussed this evening, please visit our website, progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm, for show notes. After the spooky music, we'll talk about the movie in full, so be forewarned, there will be spoilers. Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to. Tonight, we're talking about a very horny movie from a legendary director and a classic book, Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. I am your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight, I have a panel of cinephiles and cenobites. First, they're here to challenge the sexy werewolf, sexy vampire binary, my co-host, Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight? Man, I can't wait for the one-second sapphic kiss. That was definitely the result of just Francis Ford Coppola being a horny old man to be the cornerstone of all of our analysis for this movie. Is Bram Stoker's Dracula about compulsory heterosexuality? We'll find out. And the cinnamon roll of Cenobites, our co-host, Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? Do you remember Godfather? (laughs) Anybody here remember Godfather? Yes, I do remember Godfather. Forget it. We have to forget Godfather right now, okay? Are you, are you suggesting that this is the real masterpiece? No, I'm suggesting that this is of a different timeline entirely. Listen, there is a shot in The Godfather where Francis Ford Coppola fades from Vito Corleone's mustache to a tree in Italy, and that's this whole movie. That is definitely the same mind that is giving us vampire puncture wounds fade into glowing wolf eyes look i wish that there was a francis ford coppola setting on the video toaster <laughs> i really wish instead of like star wipes you know you have vampire bite wipes and that sounds totally bad do a star wipe especially in this film and our two guests first our returning guests they're writer editor and lead comics narrator king's features t fugner hey how are you tonight I'm doing great. I'm extremely pregnant at the moment, which means that I feel like I should be here to talk about either Frankenstein or body horror, but I'm real excited to talk about Dracula because it's one of my favorite things. Gary Oldman's doing enough stuff with his body for it to count as body horror, I think. Look, body positivity, even when you are just a pile of rats. (laughs) That's true. You can't be a sexy pile of dirt. Yes. Yes. If We've I could interview there. Gary Oldman, I would exclusively want to ask him about the day he oh, had to film and entirely buried in dirt up to his neck. But you know what I just realized is that who here has seen Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. It's been a million years, but yes. But like, I've often not been on boats. <laughs> and the whole thing about being alive inside a box versus being dead inside a box, he realized all of that in this film. Yep. Whoa. It's all, it's all connected. Keanu Reeves would say. It's Phil Coulson over here. And the first time guest, He's a math teacher by day, video editor by night. It's CJ McBride. How are you tonight, CJ? I am great. I am excited to talk about this movie, which I consider to be the Genesis event for the steampunk movement and for furries. Oh, damn. This uh, movie. To argue with. This movie got a lot of nerds laid. Oh, it sure did. <laughs> <laughs> you know that tab where it's like tunes? Yeah. This is a movie <laughs> where. It'll probably awaken something different in everyone, but it will awaken something in everyone. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely. I've been 
trying to debate how long to hold on to this joke, but my favorite thing I've said about this movie so far is that it's a shame that there's not an Oscar for most directing, just for best directing. Because Francis Ford Coppola does the most in this movie. At any given time, there might be three different scenes being layered on top of each other next to an image of a diary with it says what's happening in the scene. This is the movie you get when directors get a level of power mad that you just don't see anymore. No, it's he, not. It feels like an expertly made student film. No, because there's so much no, there's so much experimentation. There's so much, like you said, layering upon layering of different scenes to make a whole scene. And there were parts where I was just like, is he filming a stage play or is he making a movie? Especially when it came to the shadow puppets and stuff. I was like, you would do that on the stage. That's a stage technique that yeah. you just filmed. And it's kind of insane, but also kind of genius. Anytime they have Dracula shadow doing different shit than Dracula, I'm like, ooh, I like this. Yeah. It, yeah. That was a great better. technique the first three times. Yeah. <laughs> it well, happens a lot. And I always time. like it. It kind of looked like the lot. person who was doing the shadow wasn't really, like, they were just improving. And so they're like, okay, so we want the shadow to not just so do whatever. And the guy's like, uh, <laughs> I'm doing a thing. I know this is audio medium, but I'm like doing a very hesitant, like, oh, he's doing this. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, he's over here now. Oh. And then every so often there'd be like stretching and weird shit. There's a lot of stretching and gliding in this movie. A lot of skateboards. Look, Spike Lee ain't got nothing on Francis Ford Coppola. I mean, <laughs> I was going to say Dracula skateboarded in this movie. Just this Gary movie. Oldman with the glasses and that top had just like skating just down the cobble, London cobblestone streets. This movie is what would happen if Michael Bay had any artistic skill whatsoever. <laughs> a movie like this. Ooh. Oh, man. Fight yeah. words. It's like if Michael Bay, instead of going for explosions, went for like weird ass editing. Before we get into the recap, I do want to put on my actual film analysis I had it's very interesting seeing this movie at this point in Coppola's career you know 1992 after he's made so many of what are his classics because I think it, it says a lot about him and just his pure passion for filmmaking that even in this stage in his career you can tell that he is really learning from and taking influence from younger directors who have come after him and I think with this movie you can see real influence from uh sam raimi and tim burton in this film especially yeah. sam raimi with the pov camera trick i mean that's straight out of evil dead yeah absolutely. But, yeah just coppola just a director always pushing himself and i don't know i could see a lot of directors you know shutting themselves off to the people who, who come after no credit to him for his treatment with winona Ryder during this film but credit for never stopping being a student this definitely comes from the directing means treating women really badly and then filming it. I don't, I remember something about it, but I don't. It was the general kind of Kubrickian style at the time of like, I'm just going to like say some really mean stuff. And then it's like, yeah, that gets the sadness going. Gotcha. The auto premature of our modern time. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Emily, I believe you specifically requested to do the recap on this one. So, yes, this is a film, as we have said, by Francis Ford Coppola, who did such films such as The Godfather and Apocalypse Now. He did Apocalypse Now, right? Okay, yes, cool. Everyone's nodding. Okay, cool. The writers are James V. Hart, and it's based on a story by Dr Bram Stoker, like in the title. 
it is called Bram Stoker's Dracula, not Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula, although it should be. Yeah, real missed uh, opportunity there. And the stars are Gary Oldman, Winona Ryder, Anthony Hopkins, Keanu Reeves, Richard E. Grant, Carrie Always, Tom Waits, among others. Fucking stacked cast. It's stacked it's... as fuck cast and a variety. If anything, the variety in this movie is represented by the variety of skill that is present here. Once upon a time, there was a guy named Dracula, and he killed a lot of Muslim shadow puppets real badly for Jesus. Um, however, Jesus didn't save his wife from dying by suicide when she thought that he was dead. So Dracula stabbed a big cross and drank, drank its blood because everything bleeds when you stab it. It was extra as fuck when he stabs it, though. Just everything starts bleeding. Everything bleeds. Uh, everything just in this chapel bleeds. The, visually, the candles bleed. Extra the, excellence. Yeah. That's the power of God. Yeah, it's the power of God um, to make everything bleed. Meanwhile, London. Tom Waits plays himself as Renfield. Dracula's erstwhile familiar as a backdrop to Keanu Reeves attempting a British accent as John Harker. He is going to go visit Dracula about real estate. Harker is picked up by a chicken armor man on the last leg of his journey, and shit is just starting to get weird. Dracula is a mummy of a dude with a butt wig and endlessly weird mannerisms and qualities, like blagging shadows and the ability to teleport. John Harker is just like, this is a cool business trip, I guess, until he's seduced by three weird vampire ladies who make him lactate blood. But it is not until they eat a whole baby in front of him that he's like, actually, fuck this. And he is, uh, he is taken hostage. Meanwhile, his fiance Mina, who's played by Winona Ryder, who was also playing Dracula's wife, who died by suicide, which is, you know, a coinkydink in it. She is real lonely, so she's looking up porn while staying with her horny best friend Lucy. They make out sometimes. Lucy has a lot of possible suitors, including Quincy Morris, a cowboy, Jack Seward, a poor little meow meow, and <laughs> Arthur Holmwood, a Carrie Elways. Jack is also a doctor in a totally ethical and OSHA-compliant mental hospital. It's not. And is studying Tom Waits. Also, Renfield needs a cat for salvation, which is extremely extremely relatable. So, Dracula has bought Carfax Abbey, a big lot in London, because of reasons. It's also right next to the asylum for some reason. He keeps John Harker at his castle back in Romania because his lady's got to eat. And so he gets going to England on his own. Meanwhile, Lucy announces her engagement to Arthur Holmwood because dollar bills, and then a giant montage storm hits. Redfield goes nuts, Seward does morphine, and Dracula eats everybody on his boat, becomes a werewolf, and bangs Lucy in the Edward Gorey-ass hedge maze. Mina sees this, but Dracula erases her memory. Turns out Lucy was just sleepwalking through a tempest dressed entirely in red tulle, just to ride around on a stone plinth by a crypt. That's goals for me. Also, not only can vampires become werewolves, but they can also go out in the day because fuck you, everything you know is wrong. But it's okay because Dracula's hot. Uh, Mina, despite being the Madonna of this Madonna whore duality, is not impervious to this hotness. Honestly, don't blame her. Keanu's cute, but Dracula can talk to wolves and turn your tears into diamonds. He's also crossed oceans of time to be with you. Meanwhile, Lucy isn't feeling well, so she hits up Jack, who is her doctor and also in love with her. Cool. Apparently, his medical knowledge cannot discern why she has heightened senses, breathes like a Pomeranian in heat, and is dressed like an Easter Sunday table at high tea. So he calls his buddy Anthony Hopkins, that is... Dr. Abraham Van Helsing. Also, apparently Jack didn't check under her collar for the bite marks, which is like, I oh mean, my God, I guess. Yes. I also had chased. that in my notes. I did a, he did a full examination, but didn't exam, but didn't find the gaping neck wounds. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, he couldn't do a full examination of that day because That's then he'd true. be seeing an, an unmarried woman. And, yeah. 
He wouldn't yeah. be able to like diagnose whether there was something wrong with her ankles either. That's true. That's true. She exactly. could have tripped. She could have had an ankle wound and all that lace just covered it. He tried nothing and he was all out of ideas. Yes. Did want to say, I have crossed oceans of time to be with you is definitely a panty dropper of a line. Oh, yeah. Oh, hell yeah. There are some incredible and iconic lines in this movie. And crossed oceans of time has got to be number one. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, you mean every time show. Gary Oldman has a line? Yeah, or or Anthony Hopkins. Even though Anthony Hopkins is like totally off the rails. Like how much coke is Anthony Hopkins on, cool in, this on this movie? <laughs> Listen, I feel like this story makes so much more sense with Van Helsing being like a giggling psychopath. Because yes. like that's how Anthony Hopkins plays him in this movie. It's like, oh no. Your wife is not going to be fine. We're going to have to cut her head off. That's all there is to it. Well, yeah. Does anyone else seem like Van Helsing had never encountered vampires or monsters before in his life? And he is just like, this is his first time actually encountering it. And he is just proceeding into all of it with just this much raw confidence. Well, he has that book, that, that yeah. big, big book that probably costs an extra $200 on Southwest. I mean, the, it, <laughs> it, it, the word I would choose is mirth well, is you know this guy's on top of his shit fighting this vampire introduced letting a bat bite him and then sucking it and then sucking the wound yeah so van helsing later on reveals that dracula is his like great enemy from a long time ago which is like completely side you know it has nothing to do with anything in this movie it's just it's van helsing shouting exposition at his book Absolutely. That was the moment where I was like, is this where they got the plot for the Hugh Jackman? Van Helsing. <laughs> I can't remember. In the book, is there a history with Van Helsing and Dracula? So there's a history in as much as he studied this shit for a long time. I don't okay. I don't recall whether there's a specific history with Dracula, but there's very much a Van Helsing is the one who knows all this shit. Anthony Hopkins definitely plays this character with the energy of someone who has spent decades reading up on this and now finally gets to put that shit into practice. Absolutely. That like friend, everyone who has, who has like spent their entire lives being really super into this one really esoteric topic. And then like you go to pub trivia and it's one of the topics and they're like, my time has come. Yeah. 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 He's playing Van Helsing. The same way that Rachel Wise plays Evie in The Mummy. She's just yeah. so excited to be here. Oh, he has my favorite non-horny moment of the entire film when Winona Ryder asked if Lucy was in pain and he just goes like, fucking yeah, of course she was. Then I cut off her head. Good, you're welcome. Now eat your pot roast. Like um, the level of oh, no fucks given. I'm like, I, I just had to pause and just like take it in. That's a great smash cut, by the way. That's a great yeah. smash cut. You're just like, yeah. oh. Back to the timeline of this movie. We haven't gotten to the pot roast yet, but Van Helsing has just been introduced. He is studying the civilization and the civilization that has advanced together with blood diseases and stuff. He arrives to the uh, on the scene just in time for Lucy to be sexily fed upon by Dracula ghost. This invisible Dracula, one of Dracula's swarms. Arthur gives her a transfusion to save to stave off her sexy death. No one thinks to cover her boob, and now they're trying to figure out where all her blood went because they keep tra- giving her more blood and it's not working. I don't think they've checked blood types, but you know it's eighteen. No, they um, haven't checked blood types. They don't check the blood types in this. 
Yeah, yeah. And it really bothered me. I was just like, what are we even doing? I did have to look it up. Red and and white. This does take place a little bit before, like a little bit before blood types were invented. But also, I feel like most of them were, yeah, exactly. We're recognized. Recognized as something that were important to transfusions, but they used to do transfusions like this all the time. Yes, yes. And it was just like, okay, you're dying. We're going to get your husband and or wife's blood. And then sometimes it just didn't work and they didn't really know why. And now you're dying faster. So yeah, the Lucy squad, all of her mans, give her a whole bunch of blood, still can't seem to shake her sexy illness. Meanwhile, John Harker has slipped slipped to his escape with the help of some nuns back in Romania, and he summons Mina to marry him there. Uh, Mina cuts it off with Dracula, who takes the ugly cry to the next level, and Dracula takes it out on Lucy as a wolf. She becomes a vampire in an explosion of blood, and John and Mina suck face very chastely at the Romanian shotgun wedding. Van Helsing figures out that this is no mere vampire Nosferatu on their hands, but his long-lost enemy Dracula, and he goes full manic, losing all sense of tact. Not that he had much to begin with, as we have said. Lucy is buried in a glass coffin in her doily outfit, and now the squad must cut off her head and stake her. No big whoop. Lucy dies a second time in another explosion of blood, but this time she unceremoniously drops a child upon whom she was going to feed. This is just my favorite scene in the movie. I just think that this is really hilarious, and this whole scene is really great. So, you know, if you don't want to watch the whole movie, check this out on YouTube. Mina and John come back to London, uh, the former having second thoughts about the latter who has spray-painted hair now. Apparently, the nun spray-painted his hair to deal with his trauma. It is very, what's the word I'm looking for? As tortured as his accent? Yes, every, yes. Final Dracula hunt is on. They need to burn all of his stuff at Carfax Abbey while Mina is kept in Jack's room at the asylum because it's safer? Even Renfield thinks this is a dumb idea, but he's mad that Dracula loves her more than him. Dracula shows up as a bunch of goosebumps gas and beats Rep- Renfield up against the wall with as gas and then comes for, for he comes for Mina. Mina begs him to make her his vampire bride and to his credit this one time he lists the terms and conditions before she fully consents. Only John and the Lucy squad interrupts them before Mina, Mina is fully turned and Dracula turns into a giant bat and then a giant pile of rats. Super hot. Now that Carfax Abbey is destroyed and all of his dirt got burnt, I guess it was sanctified, so it's basically burnt. And his, like, albino ball python has been covered in holy water. Not a metaphor, or is it? Dracula has to cheese it back to his castle in in Transylvania. The squad follows him with Mina and Van Helsing's help, chasing him across Europe. With Mina's slow turning into a vampire, her Dracula telepathy makes it both easier and harder to track him. So there are twists and turns to this very, very short montage. Van Helsing almost gets got by Mina. And then the Dracula brides attack, but Van Helsing manages to fend them off with a holy medallion and a fire. And they eat their horses, and it's very sad for the horses. And then they do Van Helsing punch the horses to death. I, they probably I mean, punch they're... right through those horses because they're like vampire ladies. It's all done in the shadows, but it does very much look like they are punching the horses in the shadows. Listen, they made they they made Keanu Reeves's uh necklace melt. And they made him lactate blood, so I'm sure that they could punch a horse to death. We always asked what they do in the shadows, and the answer is apparently punch horses. No horses were harmed during this. I assume no horses were harmed. Several shadow horses were harmed. A lot of shadows. A lot of shadow horses. I feel like, and then, well, after you get that, that's when you get Anthony Hopkins really turning on, like, the Coke field performance. Well, he's he's been coked up this whole, like... 
second act of the film. This is Anthony Hopkins definitely entering like the swing of his career that would have him like teaming up with Chris Rock and just like whipping <laughs> Antonio Banderas and Mask of Zorro. I forgot about that. He's having so much fun. He also manages to find the brides in the morning and just kill the shit out of them. And then he starts yelling at Dracula. There's a lot of people yelling at Dracula off of cliffs at this point. But they are in Romania. There's a lot of cliffs. There's snow. And there's a climactic horse chase on the mountain. Apparently they have enough horses to chase Dracula now. As the sun sets, the squad assembles for the final showdown at the gates of the castle. Mina calls finishing blow and they let her dispatch him in the chapel where it all started. He gets to be hot one last time and she is cured of vampire. Everyone wins, except Quincy dies. And fuck that, because Quincy was awesome. <laughs> the just, end. It's very important that the movie end right there. Yes. Where do you go after that? Like, what happens in the next, like, ten minutes? Is Winona, like, walking out? What kind of conversation does she have with Keanu? How does she walk back that whole, my love, I choose to be an immortal vampire queen? She fucking she killed him. That marriage, huh. after, that was a mercy yeah. kill at that point. To be, she, fair, to be fair, at that point, Keanu has also decided to be an immortal vampire queen, so they just have to, like, work that out together. How, who's yeah. gonna, you know, how's, how, how's those, that going to work for their marriage? It's probably one of those things where Winona realizes that Keanu probably slept with all those brides. Oh, yeah. And, and, and Keanu realizes that she just cut off somebody's head, and they're just going to be like, Starbucks? Yeah, <laughs> I want to say there's no way this marriage can recover, but man, I feel like if anyone, if any characters are as repressed and as British enough to pull it off, like it's these two. I kind of like hope that this is the moment where they realize that they don't have to be repressed anymore. And they yes. have like this amazing pansexual polycule of like them and, you know, some vampire brides that they find for themselves. And it's just like all real happy. Well, I, oh, and I they they turned very Quincy into a vampire. Himself. Yeah, they, they right. he can be yeah. one of their vampire brides. Quincy, yeah, is hell yeah, vampire bride. Because Quincy, he is eye candy. Like he was eye candy in the book. Like he he was oh. just there to be like the second that he comes onto that screen in the movie, they're like, "What is that?" Like he's a fucking elephant. Oh my god! Can we talk about first of all? This is part of my overall point for me, which is Sadie Frost doesn't get enough love for her performance oh, no, in this movie because her delivery me. of like running up to Quincy and being like, "Can I touch it? It's so oh, big!" Like, <laughs> pulling out his giant knife, the funniest shit I've ever seen. I don't know if incredible. I don't know if any of you read Regency romance novels. Did any of you? Okay, well, well, I do. Yeah. These novels are so horny. Like reading those and then seeing this, reading those for years and then seeing this movie again after so much time, realizing how horny all, and mind you, most of the Regency romance operas I read actually do research and they're like, no, these people were horny as hell. They were all kind of secretly like getting to second and third base with, when like they would pay the maid or whatever. So they were silly repressed and sexually experimenting, but only to a point. Some people in religious circles do. Yeah, the horniness in this movie is historically accurate. Like everybody was trying to fuck everybody, and there was so much innuendo, and everybody knew we're getting married just so we can fuck. Yeah, I love Lucy. Like she's introduced in the story. Lucy is the star of a Victorian harem anime. Oh my god! She has first harem, like five love interests, 
arguably six if you count Dracula's Wolfman form as a separate love interest. I think one of the things that's really kind of when we go back to talking about like the historicity of this and all of that, like <laughs> this is all coming straight out of Bram Stoker's own horniness. Yes. Um, Quincy is in there because Bram Stoker had a huge thing for Buffalo Bill Cody. So you've got this hot cowboy in there because Bram Stoker was super into a hot cowboy at the time. Very and then much feels like an er the eroticized American yeah. stereotype. There's also the, you know, the fact that like Bram Stoker himself, he had congenital syphilis. And so like a lot of the stuff that's going on in this has to do with like his own anxieties about a sexually transmitted infection that he had and oh god what could that do to all these people he was horny for so i think like when you're looking at like dracula stories and particularly like the you know you're looking at all of these characters who are so repressed and i think this movie in particular this movie in particular covers that in ways that other adaptations don't and even the novel to some degree doesn't or maybe does, but not in a way that's necessarily recognizable to modern audiences. Like, this is absolutely a story about people who feel like they can't be sexual with their lovers, friends, etc. in the ways that they want to be. And, like, how fucked up it is and how that fucks up your life when you can't. Yeah. It's really interesting, too, because this movie being Ram Stoker's Dracula... In a time when you had a lot of these adaptations that were like trying to be more faithful to the book or whatever, and they would call it like such and such is the thing, right? And you have all of these references to the diaries, direct quotes from the books. And I don't know if exuendo is a word, <laughs> but when you talk about the Bram Stoker book in the context of Regency romance, I mean, you have a lot of very, very subtle descriptions that very much refer to an incredibly horny thing that's going on but that's the that is the language that you use to describe it like i remember the description of the brides in the book and it was just like john harker being so horrified that he was so turned on by them you know and then he watched them eat a baby and he was like well there there it is at least i was afraid for a good reason there is that and then this movie makes everything like so unsubtle it is like the antithesis of the text, it visually, where you have that super subtle text happening. And then like bananas shit that's like weird transitions, superimpositions, symbolic cuts, and and like Dracula's eyes floating in the sky. Oh, is, I love Dracula's floating eyes. Yeah, like it is so weird and kind of like I love it, even though it can be really campy and hilarious at times. That you know, it's hard you to just take. describe the reasons to love it. Yeah, but like you also feel like here's. I also like, like that super... thing for the good adjectives you just used to describe it. <laughs> yes, but you know, unlike like you watch Evil Dead and you're like, "Wow, this is crazy!" Ah, whoa, that was fun. And then this movie is like, "Whoa, this is crazy!" And then like whoa, that's kind of super sexy. This is this intense, like, love scene. Like, the scene with Mina and Dracula in the asylum where they're having, like, this sexual vampire okay. moment. Implying there isn't something deeply erotic about Bruce Campbell smashing plates over his own head. I mean, okay. it's a different kind of erotic. Right. Let's be fair. Like, there's levels of accessibility. <laughs> I mean, Bruce Campbell by himself, like the white angle shot of Bruce Campbell from just above him, just showing his face. 
Bruce Candle, the candle, Bruce Candle, candle lookalike candle. He's he is the candle in my in my darkness. But anyway, Bruce Campbell's <laughs> no, just sexy. Topic. Yeah, Bruce Campbell's sexy. But the scene between Mina and Dracula, where they're having like sad vampire, like going to make a new vampire sex, is actually very like touching. Mm. You know, it's it, it, it makes you feel. Make- the strange choice of starting the scene by having Dracula take the form of a green stink cloud. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. It built up to horniness, but it kind of dug itself into a bit of a horn hole to start out with. I feel like the green stink cloud is probably the best choice for sneaking into an asylum because you can just say, well, it was probably one of the people here. So it like rats would be a little conspicuous because someone would try to get them but a, a smoke yeah. oh, we're in london there's fog and it's kind of it's green. definitely a little worse happen. than it's green colored stinky gas like coming through the bed sheets and then he's like i'm here i'm like i don't want to know what that room smells like now dracula <laughs> dracula but like where are we why are we assuming it's stinky at all like aren't we driving just because dracula are just be- purely green no there's no reason to think it smells that is me purely Using like I mean, given the whole trained me to be green equals stinky, and given the whole context and the era that we're talking about and what they're trying to evoke here, it smells like anything. It smells like absinthe. That's true. Mm-hmm. They've been basically like green, like at the beginning, oh, they're like, like green that. equals absinthe. Like okay, yeah. Yeah. I, I was speculating that it was green because we used a green screen, and that's that's the best <laughs> they could do. But I like the absinthe theory a whole yeah. lot better. That makes so much more sense. It's just, you know, what we had. I green, like how that is Dracula... a, an evil tone of green. Like, that's, a, that's an evil oh, shade yeah. of green. Oh, green, yeah. very evil. That's why they made the that Power Ranger evil. I have uh, to say, coming, seeing this movie at 17, okay. and not getting any of the horniness, because, you know, demisexual. Like, what I'm, but coming back to it as an adult, and the horniness just... Jumping off the screen and just like you said, it's the absinthe. It's all of these things that you, if you saw this, I think in the theaters around that time or even on TV, you wouldn't really get it until you're an adult. And I was reading a lot of reviews about this movie and it was, I didn't know it was a box office hit and I didn't know that it was critically well received. I kind of remember it being kind of pan for some reason. I'm not exactly, maybe because my parents were just like, don't see that movie and I still can see it anyway. But it just, <laughs> The, the, the we don't oh, get yeah. movies this horny. Money maker. We but we don't get movies this horny at all. It's I guess it's more horny to us now because we don't see it anymore. But I wonder how horny it was back then. So I was curious if you guys remember it being. This. I mean, no, I was up. two when it came out, he, so he I don't have small. the <laughs> context of that. But I do know. I mean, like this is coming out in the era of the erotic thriller i mean this is like in the era where like basic instinct and fatal attraction were big box office hits like sharon stone and michael douglas were being like horny powerful people lying to each other was like a whole genre back and like in that era so i don't know i think like because i know it was the sexual content that got it in trouble with the ratings board Mm -hmm. and why they had to like keep trimming it down but i mean like you said i think it was noticeably horny for its time, but like you said, this was definitely an era of where the base was a horny horniness was higher. I think it was also differently horny, and I think differently horny in ways that ended up 
really inspiring a lot of art that came after it. And like every single time I watch this movie, I think of both. There is, it is so clear that Trent Reznor loved this movie because you've got stuff in the closer video <laughs> that comes straight out of this movie. And you've got stuff in the perfect drug video that comes straight out of this movie. So you're talking about this thing that where it's like, like Ben, I think is completely right. Uh, and that this is probably equivalently horny to stuff that's coming out at this time but it's so differently horny mm -hmm. in that equivalence you've got all of these like sheer clothes and that like lucy and mina running around in the rain and kissing each other stuff and that's not of this era at all and it, it kind of like marks this turning point that got us into all of this like gothy victoriana absolutely now so, you, based you on said... how little passion that like Mina actually has for Jonathan, as evidenced by how much more passion she does have for Dracula. And given just Lucy's Luciness, I truly wonder if in Lucy's mind it was like, yeah, I'm going to marry the richest guy I can find. And then you and me, Mina, we're just going to be, you know, yeah, absolutely. good friends. No, yeah. So yeah, it's interesting to me thinking about, I think maybe the horniest movie of this time, which is Basic Instinct, is so straight, even though like Sharon Stone's character is. Can canonically bisexual has a girlfriend in the story but every interaction between the two of them is shot in a very like for the straight male audience kind mm -hmm. of way it's definitely this movie is bisexuality so, like, as a way to make her character both more dangerous and more titillating to straight male audiences yeah and then this movie is, is so queer it's just so queer coded in every possible way absolutely yeah well two things one this movie fully shows Lucy having sex with a wolf man. That shit is like square on screen. It's not, there's no, it's like excitedly, even consensually, maybe a excitedly, bit hypnotized, oh, yeah. but very excited about the prospect. She, she's got her kids out. Yeah. She's like riding around in that tool. And she's having sex like she's had sex before. Like oh, she yeah. is, she's not some shy Violet who, you know, her first time was just a couple weeks ago. No, she's she's doing it like she knows what she's doing. There's yeah. no way she hasn't had a straight up foursome with like the doctor, Carrie Elways, and like Quincy. Oh, yeah. Like their Sherry Elways wouldn't participate. He'd just watch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're like, that, that feels oh, right. That's, yeah, that's... that feels right. Richard oh, Grant and Quincy are definitely having a threesome. Oh, Richard E. Grant on? is definitely discovering things about himself. Yeah. And Harry always is watching in the corner. That's and Billy, Billy Campbell's like, doing most of the work. And Billy Campbell's oh, yeah. sort of schooling both of them on what yeah. to do, especially downtown. And yeah, Carrie always is using like, the knife is like a prop too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Riding bareback, buff naked on the in the middle of the Sahara. Oh yeah. Like I call um, this one the Rocketeer. You'll get that one. Yeah, like Quincy yeah. is definitely showing like Dr. Jack how they get by out on the trail like out on like in the oh, desert yeah. trail. Yeah, this is we call this one cowboy style. Anyway, when I first saw Bram Stoker's Dracula, I was like 11. And all I only saw, well, I know, it was my friend who really wanted to show it at a birthday uh -oh. party. Oh and my I God. Actually, I actually. That's, that sounds like a cool friend. Oh, no, she's they one of the coolest cool. people I know. Yeah. You also she, 11 at the time? I, I uh, want to be her friend. Can yeah, we get I, her on the podcast? Yeah, actually, I would. Uh, Mignon, this goes out to you. I'll, we'll get you on the show. She's actually a stand-up comedian, too. So, like. Oh, fuck yeah. 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 So, she and all of her buddies were watching Bram Stoker's Dracula in one room. And I'm like, I'd rather watch The Princess Bride. And so, I watched The Princess Bride. 
And then two years later, I was goth as fuck. And this movie, as T, as you said, like this movie really kind of brought up the whole goth, like brought it a lot of that imagery and a lot of that, those themes and all of that stuff into the mainstream. Because there was a long time, like especially in the 80s, it wasn't goth, it was post-punk. And then it became more and more goth and it was less of a niche thing. And then early 90s, grunge goth became a thing. Trent Reznor was out there like, I could talk about Trent Reznor. That's one of the subjects that I can do like a 40-minute presentation about without any prompts whatsoever. Um, I will say that the imagery in his videos were mostly Mark Romanek, who is a famous director that directed like Michael Jackson videos and stuff like that. But I mean, the perfect drug video is also based on Edward Gorey, which Edward Gorey being like 60s, 70s, 80s, like standard goth. And in sort of like a public television way, because you had that old like mystery. The mystery ad things. I love those. The animated mystery openings, Edward Gorey. And like that was something like that was the hereditary gothness i got growing up so seeing that all come back around with dracula and all that with like the perfect drug video which is makes direct references to the edward gory stuff was this like moment of truth for me where everything kind of made sense in the world like i saw the world like i saw the matrix code and i was like that's it but the sexuality in this movie you know we were talking about how this movie was horny. Did we see it as horny? I didn't see enough of it when I was 11. But when I finally started watching it later in high school, I was like, this is the cool part. I was so pissed off during my adolescence about being like, just, I had to look this way or the other thing. And sex was just like a pain in the ass to me. Like, I didn't give a shit. There was nothing cool about it. It was just a bunch of people pressuring me to, do, to be a certain way. But then I saw this movie and, you know, movies like it and subject matter like it. And then Trent Reznor said, like, I want to fuck you like an animal. And I was like, that's interesting. I don't understand this, but I am compelled by it. You know, there was this like this introduction to that part of myself where I was like, OK, I can see how people would enjoy this. To this day, I, I still identify as ace. But I'm like, you know, it, I always did see this movie as horny as celebratory as uh, you know this romance this like gothic romance that really clicked on the screen the werewolf sex is so sexy even in shape of water she like there was no like like wide shot of her banging the fish man it was all like close up and intimate and stuff like that which is like it's great you know to fuck up a fish man however you want wait are there no full-on sex scenes in shape of water no. It's all very uh, like uh, Del Toro. Well, there is the there is the upsetting sex scene between the no, no full on monster sex I didn't know. Michael Shannon's wife his little tiny play bun booty. I did not count that. <laughs> yeah, well this is you know, like the actual <laughs> romantic, beautiful yeah. monster sex was not we didn't get any wide shots of that sex because they were always like in a bathroom full of water or something and they were all like very close and you know there was music and she did a dance number and stuff. It and was intimacy, movie. but not Yeah. Yeah. Can we cuss? On here? Oh, yes. please. oh, oh yeah. Yeah. They weren't fucking. Just... They were being intimate. Some monster lovemaking. Yeah. And also and... like the cloaca was just too expensive to get on screen. Yeah, we just had this. And which is the this apparently the the ASL that, symbol that's for the problem with directors Polaka. these days. Coppola would have made that Kloaka work no matter how much money it took. 
Yeah, unfortunately, uh, Dracula's don't have enough of a lizard. I mean, dragon is in the name, though. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. There's a order of the dragon. How cool was Dracula's Twizzler's armor? Dra- Dracula's well, Dracula's <laughs> Twizzler. It's it, the muscles. It's the it's that. Yeah, it's, it's like a ripped off skin. That, that's uh, all Twizzlers are good for is armor. So his armor, yeah. Like it looked good on Blood okay. Zed and Power Rangers. But it now looks I good on Dracula. Do, I want somebody to do that as a FlameCon cosplay is just remake the Dracula armor with Twizzlers. Oh, that's Ooh, really good. Yes. And then I just someone I just, eats them off of him. Okay. It's real Magic the Gathering looking armor, like early Magic the Gathering. Yes. Um yes. that's what that's what really got me about it watching it is I was like, I feel like I've played this card before. Literally. I, I can't stop thinking about that. And this just image in my head of Emily as uh, as a high schooler watching the uh, werewolf sex scene and being like, makes no goddamn sense. Compels me, though. <laughs> yeah. Which balance me in high school. <laughs> like, Ooh, Keanu's got to go in this carriage. Werewolf? What if we gave it some real bondage overtones of him just being like centrally forced into the carriage? There was a lot of a strong hand. Yeah. What would yeah, and I, I'm kind of in the same boat as Emily. I watched this movie at 17. It was just like, okay, gets with the werewolfing in the blood. Like, okay, they're having sex, whatever. When are we getting to the vampire stuff? So I feel you. It, it was it was definitely one of those things that just went right over my head. And I was just little like, did you know the having sex is the vampire stuff. <laughs> oh, right. right, seeing it again. Wow, thirty exactly. Damn, I'm old. Thirty years later. And going, oh, it's about the sex. It's not about vampires. It's about sex. Ugh. I am. I mean, vampires. <laughs> I feel like two years later, vampires are vampire about would sex. really I mean, clear that up. Yeah. Like, yeah, vampires are always about thinking, sex. I don't know. I don't, they pl- This movie came out in the theaters. And then it kind of wasn't on VHS. It was back in the era when it would go on VHS like maybe three or four years after it played on cable. You know what I mean? It wasn't. Yeah. It Everything wasn't happened simultaneously. So. It was on cable, but even the um, cable version was edited. Yeah. There were, like, I think the black the werewolf cut was, was probably an hour out. 15. I don't, yeah, I want to say the werewolf sex was edited out because I don't cowards. remember it. Huh? Just the, 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 cowards, oh, the cowards in charge of the networks running. Very so, much. Yeah. Yeah. I had this on VHS in high school. I know With that. I it sure did. Yeah. So this would have been this would have been like late nineties. So I, I think I'm between I'm between you both age wise and also identify as being somewhere on the ace spectrum. I remember all of this stuff, but I also feel like my memory of it is very clinical and oh, yeah, you know, and analytical toward it. And so but I just I remember having a friend who saw this for the very first time when we were like in our twenties and she was just like you know, I just don't understand why they would sexualize Dracula so much. Mm. I and, feel like I now have to like speak for the hornies, like of the well, world in this movie. Like, we have a I, lot of A spectrum, and Jeremy is very married. I I need to speak up for like well, just the, some like the horny motherfuckers out there. Being horny, um, oh, but, it's fine that it's horny. Yeah, it just was yeah. as a teen not seeing any of it and being a grown up and going, oh crap. I mean, I was aware I was horny as a teen because I was like, oh, this is what horniness is. Mm-hmm. Horniness, you know, I can now embrace my own, my imagination is the best thing it's going to be. Like, I don't think anything about sex is going to be better than me imagining as like a, a werewolf man. 
Or Trent Reznor. Trent Reznor as still- a werewolf man. Don't even get me started. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had emotions. I was not attracted to people. I was not interested in having sex with people because they I had like suck your blood, right? The genesis of it. Like yeah, I said. Yeah, like, so it was, it was horny and it was like the kind of thing that I thought people thought sex was because they were so obsessed with it. And it is, it is still that. And while I have the, the floor, I just really want to divert now because we talked about costumes. Costume designer is a total boss. Her name. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She's amazing. Yeah. You won the Oscar for this movie. If this movie did not win the Oscar for, like, best costume, that's insane. Okay. Yeah, that's Eiko Ishioka. Eiko Ishioka nailing it with the costumes. Like, these, the costumes in this movie are a reason to watch it by itself. As someone who is attracted to people at the drop of a hat, with (laughs) Dracula fucking strolls down that street. With his oh, tiny yeah. glasses and his big hat, looking suave as a motherfucker. And Winona's got film. her like dress yeah. and her little top hat to go with it. They are just like some sexy top hat people walking around oh, yeah. London. Their outfits are oh, everything. I'm telling you, it started like I was just like this before steampunk was a thing. I was just like that. Yeah. Era, that I want. I <laughs> we were at Bridgerton World. I would go back to that era. These two would kill at an anime con. I gotta say. Oh my god, yeah. Last time I watched this movie, I hadn't come out as non-binary yet, so now I watch it, I'm just like, okay, I understand fashion and how just orgasmic everyone's clothes are in this movie. I just feel like I have this picture of of you, Ben, in particular, like going through both of their outfits and being like, I want this piece and that piece, and (laughs) put this together. You're gonna do the skirt and the glasses. I need yes, I need Winona Ryder's dress in a color that matches Dracula's glasses. So it's monkey gray. Like yeah, a gray yeah. glasses. glasses. Yeah, yeah. That Smoky dress you would wear dress that dress that, you would wear glasses. in the sixth month of your morning period. That color. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 The, Lucy's the dress I... when it covered her tits. I mean, even when it didn't cover her tits, like she was the kind of life where your family just knows to bury you in your wedding dress in a glass coffin oh Oh, yeah but so they're like lucy her red tool i just wanted to say her red tool the red oh god the red tool even even with the tit out was like very oracle of of delphi like she was very like fertility goddess in that anyway continue no i was gonna say about the costumes is read to see her as like 18 20, you know, and everything, the bosoms were, you know, it was a square collar where the bosoms were like, you know, and then the gilded, right. And then where this movie is set in the Gilded Age, it's very much buttoned up color. So the sexual repression, you know what I mean? It was sort of like, and Rita's here was like, okay, we're sexually repressed, but you see my tits. But now it's just like, no, we're just shutting it all down. And it, and you see that in the movie and the costumes 100% reflect that. So when Lucy shows up, in that wedding dress, it's so beyond the current fashion, it's gauche, it's shocking. And then the red is so back in the other direction. Yeah. It, she really paint, she really stretched the two different extremes in terms of costumes and found everyone else to be in the middle, but put Lucy at both extremes, almost within the same scene and, and within the same movement of the movie. So well, yeah. that's talent. That wedding dress has like so many is like taking so many notes from Elizabethan costuming. Mm-hmm. And, Absolutely. You know, and so you've got this whole like virgin queen gut thing going on at the very point where you're like, 
this is com- we know that this is completely antithetical to who Lucy is. Absolutely, oh, yeah. not, nothing yeah. original about Lucy. <laughs> I Bless. in terms of clothing, communicating character, I really like that in all the scenes where she's together with Jonathan. Mina is wearing green is her primary color, and then Ooh. when she starts being more emotionally intimate to her friend Dracula, only with Dracula does she wear red. Mm. Yeah. yeah, she doesn't wear warm tones except for with him. Yeah, oh, I know this movie. And again, the movie ends with the tragedy, but it's just an interesting tonal or emotional balance making you want to, like, you know, not want to see Dracula be alive. While also through Mina's eyes, like, you know, to the end, Dracula is clearly the partner she has the most romantic chemistry with. Absolutely. I feel like this movie has, in a way that the book really doesn't, has this focus on like female sexuality in it because I feel like it's very clear that not just is Lucy horny, but Mina's extremely horny oh, and yeah. wants John oh, yeah. to like get with her. But John is like, yeah, pecking kisses and then is like, well, we can get married, but I have to go close this real estate deal first on the other side of the world. And she's like, just let us get married now so we can have sex before you leave. And he won't do it. It really does set up his character. Because yes. only a guy who would look at Winona Ryder say, I want to fuck you. And he's like, no, I got to go. I got to go to work across the country. Would completely not suspect anything creepy going on about Dracula until, <laughs> until, until he sees him climb down a wall. The baby. Yeah. He's like, no, like that, that wouldn't happen. I know I saw the shadow move, but of course, no, he's too straight laced. And I mean, I know Keanu, everybody makes fun of his accent, but I think his stiffness kind of works for the character. I do oh, agree. Yeah. It also yeah, reminded inter- me of interview with the vampire where Lestat is like, stopping time and like reading minds and Louis is just like I don't know that's just a thing like bisexual French people can do <laughs> but, but I think too like it sets you up as you've got this whole at the beginning like Jonathan's in a completely different story he's in yes. he's in his like cute little epistolary real estate drama meanwhile his girlfriend's over here in the like sexy vampire show yeah and, and he's completely oblivious <laughs> Winona is desperate to be in a good old fashioned like bodice ripper. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and he, he's really literally good. he is literally a property brother. He's just well, like <laughs> I, don't I, I, I feel bad for Keanu in this because one, he, he thinks an English accent is just British diction. He thinks he's doing an English accent by delivering lines like a British person would say them, which is not how that works. But he is literally and figuratively playing it straight, and everybody around him is just chewing on the scenery. Like for all of France, for Francis Ford Coppola is doing too much. Gary Oldman is doing so much in every scene yes. that he's in. The, we like, call that the way oh, yeah. the most. The way yes. that he delivers lines, like he is Frankenfurter. The way that he says, "I never drink." It's like, watching that is is like. Oh my God, he's going so hard. And like, we talked about this in our last Dracula movie, in the last Dracula movie we did with Christopher Lee. The role of boyfriend of the woman being seduced by Dracula is almost always the most thankless role in the story. In in real life, 
Well, one of the yeah. things I, mean, I think one of the things that I really appreciate about this movie, and particularly this you know this adaptation compared to a lot of the other ones, is that they actually pay attention to the fact that Jonathan is also being seduced by Dracula, um, yeah. and like that whole like when you know he's got like three Dracula wives who are doing all kinds of stuff to him all at the same time, and Dracula's in comes in and is like he's mine, you know maybe maybe he's got to warm Jonathan up a little bit to this, but yeah. but. He is definitely seducing Jonathan too. I really yeah, I mean, wish we'd gotten a scene of Keanu with like young Gary Oldman without the butt wig and the creepy and the like the gross hairy palm. Well, like the scene with the razor and the shaving should have been so it, homoerotic and it, it wasn't. Still it very, so, yeah. The way he likes that razor is so, he's doing yeah. so much in that scene. So much. I thought about, I, I realized when you said that, you know, Dracula's kind of seducing Keanu. And I was like, why didn't Dracula appear to Keanu as his younger self like he did with Mina? I think it's because Dracula knows what Keanu's into. Oh, yeah. It's definitely oh, that. So, Keanu, so Keanu's just a kinky little freak. He's a closet freak. That's why he's so oh, repressed. Yeah. It's also like, was like I'll, I'll, these three women can, you know, suck me off. But a baby, oh, that's where I draw the line. Well, he's about as freaked out by the baby as he is by discovering he likes nipple play. Just, just to be exactly. clear, the baby is not trying to suck him off. That's what freaks See, him out. Did not bring yeah. the baby into the sex. That isn't what absolutely. happens. No, but there is also... I, I didn't want to lose my credential. One of the things, too, is that if, if this is another go back to the book and the portrayal of Dracula that we see with Jonathan in the movie is nothing like the portrayal of Dracula that we see in the book, but the portrayal of Dracula that we see be with Jonathan in the book is literally just Walt Whitman. So, <laughs> because Ron Stoker, in addition to being horny for Bubba Bill Cody, was super horny for Walt Whitman. And Walt was a much older man at the time. And, like, mm -hmm. you read Dracula in the book, he's this older man, he's kind of scruffly, he's got a long beard, and he wears this real ugly hat that's full of holes. So, yes, that's exactly what it is. It's just, like, this is what Jonathan's into. And, like, all of these characters, I feel like every single character that we see kind of in this like sex, you know, sexual, for want of a better word, thrall with Dracula in the course of the story are like different parts of Bram Stoker's own sexual appetite. But he like split them all up into different characters. Didn't he write Walt Whitman like this really creepy letter oh, or something? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. He, 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 that did fan letters. Yup, yup, yup. Okay, okay. I heard a podcast that touched upon it, and I was like, I was trying to remember. It was one of those letters where Waltman was like, oh, boy. Yeah, like yeah, he was one of Walt Whitman's top subscribers. Like, he was all he was all the into Walt Whitman's DMs. Walt Whitman's OnlyFans. Way before. Did Walt Whitman have an OnlyFans? Walt Whitman oh, yeah, would that? have had an OnlyFans if he okay. was alive today. He absolutely okay. would have. Yeah. 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 OnlyFans, uh, yeah. If you were um, on the dark web. That's if you true. guys oh haven't God, watched yeah, the just... uh, Queer for Fear miniseries on Shudder, they talk a lot about Walt Whitman and Mary Shelley and how incredibly queer they were. But because in the context of Dracula, they talk about how horny Bram Stoker was for Walt Whitman and then how incredibly hard the British government came down on gay men during that mm. time and how Walt Whitman was suddenly not gay anymore. But then a lot of things started popping up and things like Dracula that were like, hey, there's a cowboy in this. It's okay. He's an action hero. It's fine. He shoots a very big gun and has a very big knife. Yeah, I I do want to say on the 
defending various horny bits in this film. The scene with the vampire brides and Keanu is incredibly sexy. Uh, Monica Bellucci appearing in this 11 years before she will try to seduce Keanu again in The Matrix Reloaded. Oh, um, my God. Oh, That's holy right. shit. I didn't even That's read right. that connection. Holy fuck. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, my and God. She, she is incredibly attractive. Yeah. But she's yes. she's just one of those people that I'm fascinated by because she was previous to be. She was on the faculty of a law university in Italy. And at 24 was just like, guys, have you ever noticed how I'm incredibly attractive and just went and started being a model and then an actress and just left law to do that? For her. What a boss. Yeah. yeah. And is now like. In her late fifties, and it still law school stunning, loans, right? Yeah. She's probably paid off all her student loans and then so So good for her, for right? Real. For real, for real. Yeah, she just went and joined elite model management. If I look like Monica Bellucci, yeah, yeah, I, I got it. All the movies, yeah. Like, oh, you want to see my boobs? Sure, give me money. It's fabulous. Yeah, right. I mean, you have very good boobs. You should want to see them. Yeah, it's, uh, they were spectacular, and it was quite the scene. She, <laughs> she is also the only of the three Dracula's brides that I'm not slightly uncomfortable with their use of baby eating. <laughs> no sort of Romani dress and decoration oh. of people. And their their wild yes, misuse we... of the term gypsy. in this. Oh, yeah. yeah. Definitely yeah. should address that. There is pretty liberal use of what is unquestionably a, a slur. Yeah. The G slur. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, there, there's absolute, dehumanizing of the Roma people and uh, out of the book as well. We can see any of their faces. You know what I mean? Like you, they're just sort of they're kind of like the roustabouts in Dumbo. You're like, yeah. are they? Um, like they're not they're, characters. Yeah. They're like you. Yeah, you may like see their faces flash by the actions. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. No, that's all. They're treated as like extensions of Dracula. They're not. They're props. They're Dracula's props. Yeah, yeah they're they, yeah. He calls them in his letter. Parker calls them Dracula's gypsies. And there's no reference to this being like a culture or them being Romani or even the things that are generally stereotyped about Romani people. It's just that like, oh, these are a group of people that absolutely serve Dracula. So like they're sworn to him. He's their master. And it's like, is that even a racial stereotype about Romani people that they just... Swear their allegiance to, mm-hmm. you know, it seemed to be sort of, of what I understand the stereotype is, but like, again, this isn't implied that, oh, these are like Renfield level mental mind control. These are just, this is just a dehumanized, marginalized population yeah. who, if their faces are seen, it is only flashing by during an action sequence. Well, and I think, too, there's this, honestly, for me, one of the things that that I feel like is happening in that those scenes in this movie is that somebody got Roma and Romanian com- confused. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. That would make a, okay. That mm-hmm. would make sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, if they just said, here's some Romanian people that are loyal to Dracula. I honestly wouldn't question it, but yeah. once you make it explicitly, the marginalized, like and persecuted you, you, group. Once they drop the G slur, your brain yeah. automatically yeah. goes towards a certain group of people, which if we're talking about, you know, these people don't, these people in Dracula don't have an allegiance to a country that could apply to the stereotypes applied to Romani people, you know, because they're stereotypically nomadic and they don't really yeah. have a country. So it could apply. You're good. Like you said, I'm sure someone mixed up Romani and Romania and just dropped the G slur. But 
especially back in the 90s, that word was just sort of like a blanket term for people that don't matter, that you could, that are just, they're minions. They're the minions and you could, you could throw them off a cliff. Yeah. You make them do your bidding. They, if you pay them, they will have allegiance to you. You know, just that whole thing. There. I'm shocked how commonly it's used to this day. Oh, God. Like the Flash TV show. A dad's like, yep, here's a character who is the slur. That's her superhero name. We're not that's changing this from the comics. Cool. That's not cool at all. I mean, I think one of the things that confounds me about it, too, within the context of this movie is that there is a lot about, A, the original novel and B, a lot of the earlier adaptations that is really, really anti-Semitic. And I think that this movie does a good job of erasing most of the anti-Semitic stuff by making Dracula explicitly Christian. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't find anything that jumped out to me as anti-Semitism. anti-Roma stuff instead. There's a theory. An anti-Muslim. Yeah. There's a theory that yeah. you... Far too many people feel the need that there has to be a group of people like that in their stories in order to, you know, there has to be the the people that, you know, are the marginalized people. And it's always interesting to see who chooses which group and what qualities to mar to make that marginalized group. So it's something that I think a lot of creators do, either consciously or unconsciously. But at the same time, it's always interesting if they're going to what like if they're going to be anti-Semitic. They're going to be anti-Muslim, if they're going to be anti-Black, if they're going to be anti-Romani. You know, it's just a matter of who, who's going to get who's going to get punched down to in this movie. You yeah. know, that sort of thing. So that's a good point. I hadn't realized that they had erased the anti-Semitism and replaced it with anti-Romani-ism. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, I because, think there's yeah. also like a lot of people Dracula talk about the Dracula in the book as being sort of like a bit of a, a stereotype for what people of that time would have associated with Muslim or Arabic people of being somebody from the East who is coming in and stealing their women who has, you know, a dark complexion and dark hair and is from sort of this nebulous region. And the drinking they, of the they blood. Very specifically give him like the quality of like, oh no, he's fighting Muslim people at the beginning of this. Good question mark. That gets complicated by the fact that that's actually what Dracula did. He was pretty much constantly at war with the Ottomans. And it wasn't the first time he did it. But the reason that Dracula, the actual person, got a got a reputation as the impaler is because the Ottoman emperor sent a delegation to him demanding he swear fealty to the empire and he impaled them all. So he was actually like, that was literally what Dracula was doing, was going out there and killing Muslims. You know, so not a great guy, actually. Um, uh, I think that the fact that it's in the movie and kind of glossed over is a problem, but it's also historically accurate from the perspective of, yeah, that's kind of what he was doing. Yeah, although the, the imagery of the shadow of the moon passing over the European map, that is, I think... In oh, terms yeah. of like ways that they could have made it less like homophobic, you know, it, that image of in and of itself is yeah. a bit cringy. They, so, I feel like the problem here is that they tried to lionize this guy to begin yes. with. And you can't create this like great tragic romance that spans centuries if the person who's half of the great tragic romance that didn't happen mm -hmm. because his wife well he had two wives but his, his the wife that he's best known for having married having been married to outlived him but like this great tragic romance if one of them is like out there just murdering people 
So I have a question about the theology of this movie. Okay. Because this movie, because Dracula's motivation is his wife has been sent to hell, and that's why he revokes God. And again, based on the church bleedy and everything else and the crosses, it does seem like this movie does that thing that I guess is kind of inherent. And when they do the crosses weakness, which I don't always love as a Jewish viewers, be like, Yup, Christianity is real. It is the objectively correct religion. It is true. Well, it's so, so how weird. Is real? How was his wife also reincarnated? We have heaven and hell and reincarnation in this movie. I mean, so is she reincarnated? I mean, she's got yeah. all like, the past, the like the like she's got, she's got like the memories. That's true. I mean, she does have I think somebody watched the adaptation of the nineteen eighty nine adaptation of Phantom of the Opera where the primary the the protagonist in it is the reincarnation of christine from the night from the 19th 20th from the 19th century so yeah. like there's definitely a theme in this late 80s early 90s horror movie of like the love of my life has come back from the dead in another incarnation and uh, the, like it's our destiny to find each other that like for me actually really pisses me off in this movie because it's completely unnecessary to anything else that's going on and it's just kind of there and yes it gives us the whole cross the oceans of love blah 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 blah. but as a line that's a great line but it doesn't do anything for the plot yeah to me it helps sell just how fast and how hard winona Ryder falls for him yeah that's why it's there it's yeah just... like i i we need a I, shortcut i like i'm no, i'm totally with you it's like it's definitely this element that like kind of only exist to paper over like the weaknesses in the pacing of their romance like their romance there isn't enough there for their romance to be that deep to be believable so there has to be extra past love romance to back it up like post actually the most confusing part of this movie for me because it's one it's unclear how much time passes because during the time that dracula and mina are having a romance Harker does escape the castle and then stay for seemingly a few months with these nuns before traveling from romania to england which itself takes a good deal of time uh it were not a weird ghost person that is some span of time that they're spending together that might be reasonable for them to fall in love we just don't see a lot of it yeah and then like even down to the final chase across, you know, the Castle Dracula, it's still unclear. Like, Mina is giving kind of mixed signals of, like, one minute she's on board with killing Dracula, the next Dracula is the only thing she cares about. And I think it's unclear whether she's fighting some sort of supernatural influence he has over her or if she really has fallen in love with her that much or him that much or she's just really horny for him. Yes. The answer yes. is yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I guess if you look at, I don't disagree with any particular one, but it's just, I guess if you look at the sexual repression that she's clearly experiencing, she wants to be as free as Lucy, but whatever is holding her back. And I guess what was sort of unconsciously holding her back was that she was the reincarnation. She actually had a path love. So I see what the movie is trying to do. I don't necessarily, it's the greatest solution to that problem. But it happens, and you're like, oh, okay. I mean, yeah. we're wolf sex. So. I mean, she's literally yeah. a poor, yeah. repressed school Lucy bar. Is, I mean, yeah, I mean, yes. that's what I was going to say, is that, like, you already have the answer to what's holding her back. What's holding her back is class. British class. 
Absolutely. Um, and yeah. also and Lucy is clearly much of a much higher class. Yeah. And so she because oh, yeah. she's higher class, she's allowed to be gregarious. She's allowed she's probably fucked both the doctor and the cowboy. She's saving Arthur for the marriage because she knows he's of the same class and he wouldn't marry her if, if they hadn't. But she's definitely done things with the other two, you know? Yeah, so Mina, women of Mina's class can't be that gregarious because she doesn't have money where people accept it. And she knows, like, Jonathan's the best she could do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And here comes Gary Oldman, who, you know, is looking how he's looking in this movie and absinthe and, you know, all he's just oozing charisma and sex. And, and he's I a can prince. Say, and he's a prince. Or prince. so he said, well, you know. Yeah, he's so he's like, a moment where there were all says, these guys like, I'm an African prince, but like, yeah, right. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I kind of like, mm-hmm. sure, sure, buddy. Yeah. In, in Nigeria. But I mean, back in that, back in that time. Now I'm like, like imagining that. Dracula's pyramid scheme with all of those boxes of dirt. <laughs> right? <laughs> Is it experimental earth? What are if they doing an event. experiment on? Exactly. But if you think about vampirism, it's kind of a pyramid scheme. It I is. mean, it's. I so literal. People, you gotta get I people in your ally. I mean it. It is. It is. Queen so, of the Damned was Egyptian. She was. And honestly, I feel like and that's like canon. People in London at this time were just so fucking horny for anything occult that, like, you could have made a killing off of genuine Dracula dirt. Absolutely. Oh, by the bag full. I'm certain Absolutely. that a lot of people did have Dracula dirt. I mean. Probably Get a big before. dog and say it's a wolf. Just oh, I turned into a wolf, or you know, yeah. trained a bat to fly around. Yeah, I yeah. think another question. I know. Yes, I don't know how this goes. Okay, one thing that always bothers me about vampire stories is how none of the vampires seem to want to be vampires. I don't understand that. I, they're always like, "This is an awful existence." And I'm like, "Is it though?" I don't understand in this movie why Dracula doesn't want Mina. I mean, his whole goal is you know to get with her yeah. and then she's like make me a vampire too it's like no and i was like well what was your end game here like you were just going to be dracula and she'd be human and she eventually gets old and dies i think that there's a there's a sort of luciferian test that goes along with this where mm-hmm. i mean i don't think that that this is especially in the script of this movie this is intended to be so subtly diabolical but i do think you know it is a it is an archetype for these kind of characters especially characters like the madonna complex characters that winona writer represents there needs to that, be a, a test francis ford coppola probably loved the, the idea of doing the madonna whore but then he realized that meant one of them couldn't be horny so he had to figure out how to do like the like the horny Madonna and the horny whore. Yeah, just um, more more horny, less horny. But I mean, like everybody in this yeah. movie is horny. The rats are horny. Everyone's horny. But the fact that he was like, "Are you sure? Are you sure?" Consent, Dracula. Yeah, he was. He really like they needed consent, and there's also that scene which is supposed to be romantic. So you know, it, it's very problematic. I mean, it's, there's already a lot of like manipulation going on, and you know, supernatural and otherwise. But if it's as, like, violent as with Lucy, it's not going to be romantic. But I do think that Dracula is a little bit of a tragic character. He does have all this power, but he's sad. Like, from the get-go, he's sad and he also looks like a mommy. It's not until he gets the, uh, the motivation of seeing Mina's picture when he's like, 
oh shit, I gotta be hot again. Mm. Dracula makeover. Right, 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 right. Yeah. That's how he gets hot again, is he eats an entire ship full of sailors. He, he on the way over. Entire ship. Yeah, like eating all the guys and go, go, like hanging out in his dirt, I think helped. I really want the version of Dracula now that plays the romance straight and it's just like a Hallmark Christmas movie where like you lose Jonathan. Mina is the career focused lawyer who wants to work over Christmas in the city, but then she's sent out to like the small foresty like rural town of Romania where here's hunky Dracula in his vampire sweater. And I guess he has a blood wolf that like comes and interrupts the dates, but is just so romantic about it. Children of the Night. I have a feeling that's already been a Hallmark movie. Are yeah. You? That's not on Lifetime, like Lifetime After Dark or something. It definitely I mean, sounds like something they do. Like, if not, I hope I want to get in on that, yeah. like, sweet, sweet Christmas Dracula money. <laughs> I feel like this movie is, I don't know, maybe a peak, maybe a starting point for a, a thing that's definitely been happening over the past, like, 30 years. And this, I'm, I'm way up on this peak right now because I've been watching the Hotel Transylvania movies with my children. Um, and it's this sort of good guying of Dracula because the Dracula in the book is not a good guy. He is a monster. No. He may no, be a yeah. horny monster, but like there's not a like reincarnation thing. There's not a vengeance against God thing. He's a bad guy who wants things. So he takes them. That's his whole deal. And watching the Hotel Transylvania and thinking about this is a real trip because I feel feel like Hotel Transylvania is trying really hard to make being a vampire some sort of like correlation to being Jewish. And that might just be Adam Sandler being in this part. Uh, and the fact that they decided to cast his dad as Mel Brooks. But like they really decide that like Dracula That's really is who he is and has Dracula's secluded Jewish. himself because humans attacked his people and killed his wife. So he had to go make a hotel just for monster people away from the normal humans. And like, he has to discover that humans can be all right again. You know, I think one of the things you're talking about, and I think it's really important, is that when you go back to Dracula, when you go back to the contemporary vampire stories that were happening around the time of Dracula, they were using Jewish stereotypes for vampires. Yes. There were a lot of them being connected with vampires. And so what I think you're seeing when you see something like Hotel Transylvania is, okay, let's take all of this stuff that was done for the last century or so that was really crappy and try to rehab it without necessarily, without that necessarily meaning that we're going to take away the Jewish coding of these characters, that like, we're going to keep the Jewish coding and we're going to but we're going to rehab the mythos around the characters to make the characters, you know, and I don't necessarily know. I think some sometimes that's more or less successful. But yeah. I also think that, like, when you're talking about, like, there's another thing going on with movies like this where, and I think it honestly starts with the Franklin performance of Dracula in the 70s, where people who aren't monster fuckers don't get monster fuckers. You have all of these people who are, like, desperately attracted to these monstrous characters and like I, i'm sure you know i don't know how many of you have seen like franklin jealous stories about the letters he got from ladies when he was playing dracula on broadway because um, they are horny as heck yeah and and what oh, I, and, I, I, I bet and yeah. so you get this bridge from 
okay, we know that people are attracted to these horrible monsters. So let's make the monsters attractive to vanilla people now, too. And because they don't quite get what's going on there with that, you know, oh, wow, it's really hot when, you know, Lucy gets together with the werewolf version of Dracula. Why are people so horny for this moment? So then they go back and decide that they're going to make Dracula a nice guy so that they can understand why people are so horny for it. Reverse engineering monster fucking. Yeah, I I think it's really weird in this movie in particular because he comes out to me as the weirdest sort of pickup artist, which is like, he comes to England specifically because he wants to get with Mina. And his first step in doing this is to seduce her best friend and fuck her as a wolf in the garden. <laughs> and, right. it's like, and then make her forget. Yeah, and then ask for directions to the movie theater. His first move, though, is really seducing her fiancé. We just don't see much of it. Well, he didn't yeah. know that they were, they were... No, but he, yeah. he picked... He wanted Harker. He, he was wanted Harker. Harker. Yeah. And then he was like, oh, wait. This dude knows my old lady. Oh, so two for one. Here we go. Yeah. 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 No, he mean, his picture instantly forgot about Harker. He was yeah. like, Dang, wait, can I just leave you here in this castle? Could you write some suicide notes? For I me? honestly think he was planning on going to get Mina, bring her back, threesome. <laughs> because he was like, Lady, yeah, this agree. one is mine. After he knew about Mina, and he was like, nah, I'm going to, y'all keep him busy. I'm going to go get the other chick, and then we all, it's going to be a party. If they didn't know about Mina until after Harker got there, why was Dracula buying all that property? Because he wanted to go to the free city. Look, it's the time to buy real estate. I mean, it's only going to go up. He's just a maven. He lived, like, alone in this really remote castle in Romania. There was no snacks. There was no ethnic food. Like, he couldn't get takeaway anywhere. So he has to go somewhere where he can, like, actually, like, have, like, a life and, like, lots of little tasty treats. Because you got right, rich old- dad, poor dad. Yeah. He was I mean, look rich at dad, poor dad. Dressed, you know, the- and he was like, I got to go into real estate. This I mean, is Dracula honestly, culture. He's got to be where the culture's getting made. He was and like- that's why he hired a problem brother. Right. Yes. He was so bored in his castle that all he was doing was watching house flipping shows and it just like got to him. Honestly, what's more vampiric than becoming a landlord? Hello. Right? right? Hello. He didn't buy one. He was buying ten properties. Oh so he yeah. He had his own abbey and then nine nine properties that he's making money off of throughout. If you reevaluate this movie as a cautionary tale about the pitfalls of real estate development so and landlording. I mean, yeah, that's some of what the book is about. But yeah, that's true. Because the real estate thing was very prominent in the book. The book did not have so much of, you know, werewolf sex. It was just like a lot of people being like, and I was compelled. I'm waking. Well, in the book, correct me if I'm wrong, I haven't read in a long time. He's buying these places strategically to create, to like, isn't he buying, aren't there some sort of, method to the places that he's buying to sort of triangulate Mina or something. Well, am I, am I remembering it wrong? Pop? Go ahead. T. Yeah, I mean, he's he's triangulating properties, but I don't think it's with the... I, I don't think when he's initially doing it, it's with the goal of a specific person. It's more it's more that he wants to come to London. Yeah. yeah it's really It's really more this idea of the, you know, you've got this... Eastern European and you know again 
like Jeremy was saying earlier, either depending on how you're reading it, anti-Muslim or anti-Semitic stereotype of this character who is the immigrant character coming in and stealing our property. Um, Yeah. And that's really what you're seeing there. So there's this whole other, there's this whole other metaphor going on in the book that is about like, you know, that's about um, outsiders coming in and taking our land. Yeah. Um, And And um, yeah, which was something. And at the time people built their wealth, especially in the Gilded Age, because you have all this old money that is running out of, you have these people with titles and land running out of money. And they're like, we want all this foreign, sort of like what's happening in America right now. But it's just like, we need all this money. And so we will let in an immigrant. We will let in a Muslim. We will let in a foreigner. We will let somebody who we code as Jewish, even though we would let them into our upper echelons of society because they can afford it. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I see what you mean. Yeah, that makes yeah. total. What I'm hearing is that Van Helsing is a Brexiter. So. But Van Helsing is actually based on Teddy Roosevelt's uncle. That's true. So, uh, That's crazy. Y'all, what wait, accent was just, Anthony Hopkins doing? And I know it's a trick question because he never did the same accent twice. European. The yes. accent is, the accent is, I just did sides of the lambs and now y'all know who I am and I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> exactly. It is that. Not that bad accent. And yep. rabies. You know, yeah. right. the rest of the movie, he plays it like he's about to drop dead of rabies. Um, and it makes sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and Coke. Van Helsing has some of these moments where he's like, we're going to kill Dracula. But first, man, I am so fucking hungry. Can we get some food? Like, literally, that's what Van Helsing does in the movie. He's like, all right, we got a plan. I've got to eat first, man. Does anybody else want some fried chicken right now? Like, he has some great lines, like, here, where he's like, like, I think at one point he calls Lucy like a bitch of the dead. Bitch which of the night. Hey, uh, what is like, it? The bitch of the night or something? So, oh, I thought it was bitch of the dead. Which I'm like, that needs to be a band name. Like that, he's, that's he's that's gonna be the name of my like non-binary does, like riot non-binary band. Whores of the devil. Whores uh, of the devil. Bitch of the, of the dead. Bitch of the night. He, he literally of- humps. He humps another man's leg. Yeah, she, you know, like, like, like and then, as if they didn't understand what he was trying to communicate. He was like, well, let me, let me give you a visual. Yeah. Okay. When he's trying to like, when they're like, we don't believe you, we don't need your expertise. And then like, he goes like, look over there. And then he goes and hides behind another fucking like gravestone. And they're like, oh shit, look at He went a short distance without us noticing. We clearly did his help. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think it kind of like, you know, Lucy died and that's fucked up. And I don't know if they found any of the exploded blood or the dog or like, you know, like there's no real discussion of the crime scene. But, you know, that's not that's distracting. Will Graham wasn't there. So, you know, well, he gets his little Sherlock Holmes like you can't prove vampires don't exist. So how do you know it? It's not a vampire. It's like, I hear, I hear a herd of unicorns coming up the road and it's <laughs> absolutely unicorns. And then everyone's like, I thought you were a scientist. And he's like, well, there, there's some fucking unicorns right here. 
who was right and they're like well i guess and they're looking and like there's some fucking unicorns right there like they go find lucy and she's all caked up down there and she shows up and it's like "Mm," with a kid and they're like well shit that is a great the way he shot that is i mean it's all reverse it's just reversed you know she climbs out and they reverse it but it it and it it looks like it's been reversed but it works because yeah. everything with Lucy is now backwards of what we expect. And I that that when she comes down the stairs and the guy, I mean, that whole scene is just so well, it's one of those scenes where I'm just like, this, this is cinema. It is just yeah. it's staged wonderfully. She's she's and she just vomits blood. It's just I like, know. Oh, I loved it. Mm-hmm. It's it's so so that's some Raimi shit right there. It's so good and <laughs> hilarious. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And it doesn't take you out of it. Like, that's telling you, I'm telling you, Coppola fucking loves the Evil Dead movies. You'll never convince me he doesn't. Oh, yeah. Well, Sam Raymond. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and they're also, great movies. How do you not love them? Don't forget that our boy, Dino De Laurentiis, was involved with those films. And, like, if there was ever a movie that was Dino De, De Laurentiis' as fuck without being Dino De Laurentiis, it's hard to say his name. Without, if there was a movie that was Dino without Dino, fucking Bram Stoker's Dracula is it because that's some some fucking De Laurentiis shit right there like absolutely when you when I we talk about Hannibal and like how how Hannibal the show is just aesthetic and like extra as fuck this movie is like you know if Hannibal's 11 this movie's 1100 and Mm. but you know this movie ran so Hannibal could like walk in a way that we could understand wearing the tie yeah yeah, like yeah, this movie fucking. Six. Yeah, that's why it feels like a very professional student film because yeah. he's just doing, he's throwing everything at this movie and it all magically works. Even though, I mean, an iris out and an iris in, like, how cheesy is that? That's almost as bad as like Star Wars, Star White. Yeah. You know, wipes. You're just like, what are we doing? But it works because, you know, you got Dracula's eyes and it's just like, you found that effect and you just lucked up, man. But it works. He yeah. made it work. And I don't know why this movie isn't in the Smithsonian. I, I've been to the Academy Museum. No mention of this movie at this all. should have yeah. all of Dracula's costumes in the Smithsonian. We should. Although some of them are in the brand They're like the Terminator. You know, like the Terminator. Like the Academy. Like, no, you need this Bram Stoker's Dracula and stuff from the cell, too. Just, like, just amazing stuff. They should yeah, have like the, the hat and the the hat and sunglass combo should be like on display at like the Library of Congress. Absolutely, absolutely. Like you said, the Twizzlers armor. I mean, yeah, that, that alone cool. warrants warrants oh, yeah. a display. I would pay twenty five dollars to see that in, in person. Well, you plus fifteen dollars, big same. You could go to the winery for free, and it's there. The what? The what? The Francis Ford Coppola winery. Oh, yeah, up in Where Hillsburg. Is that? It's Hillsburg. Yeah, it's it's I'm, I'm in Runner Park, so like, oh. it's about you know forty minutes up the freeway from us. Oh, yeah. at least it's free. I mean, that's yeah. nice. That's yeah. nice. Yeah, I drink some Francis Ford Coppola wine just to get you know acquainted with his work. Coming up to this, <laughs> <laughs> I never it's drink. Okay, it's very okay wine. What well, yeah. makes me sad? What makes me sad about? this movie in particular is universal really wanted this i don't know if you guys know that that universal wanted this to be the beginning of like a dark universe for them Mm -hmm. they they were gonna have daniel day lewis play the mummy and Mm -hmm. 
Daniel Day Lewis playing playing the mummy. And then I forget they wanted to do a Creature of the Black Lagoon. They they wanted to do a Van Helsing and bring it. It was going to be like the MCU. It was going to be we're going to do Dracula. We're going to do the Mummy. We're going to do Frankenstein. We're going to do all these characters. And it was going to be one big movie where Van Helsing would handle right. all of them. And this was back in '92, and right. the MCU really didn't come together until like '99, 2000, and. I would have wanted to see that. I mean, Daniel Day Lewis as the mummy. Yeah, that would have been. I, I feel like I feel like there there would be so many. There would be so many method acting stories about that situation. But yeah, but like I mean, it's it's you know it's building off the original you know Universal monster movies where you did Absolutely. have like you know you, you know they didn't have quite as many connections, but they definitely tried to build those connections between the characters and the movies. And yeah, I like that would have been. That would have been super cool. That would have been great, though, with, like, Daniel Day-Lewis's Van Helsing. Because, again, like, he would have gotten so into it that he would have just looked up headlines and would have been like, oh, no, he's hunting Bella Lugosi. (laughs) 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 But the the serious actor thing, like, we're going to use, I mean, they were kind of ahead of the curve, but we're going to get real actors to do these silly characters, and we're going to make it super serious, which MCU copied. And stole from DC, but that's a whole other conversation. But yes. I always felt like with the shared universe, the issue is how do you keep the horror with that many characters? Or if you go full superhero Avengers, who do they then team up to fight? How do you right. keep I mean, Abbott and Costello, obviously. Yeah. Right. Yes, I, yes. That's true. That's so <laughs> God, yes, they should fight Anthony Costello. How do you keep yes. consistency with Dra- Bram Stoker's Dracula in a in a series of films? Like, how do you keep consistency with that style? You can't. No. You physically can't. Probably why it didn't you happen. You have to have Coppola do them all, which after this movie, he was just like, I'm good. Like, yeah. It's, it's like, interesting to me because I, I feel like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein was a very deliberate attempt to do the same sort of thing. And I so bad. It's so different. Like, it's so... I, I, no, I'm thinking of Mary Wiley. I, I Mary really Riley? like... I really like Robert yeah. De Niro as the monster. Yeah, uh, that's really the saving grace of that movie for me. Is they really, they really do do the thing where it's like, oh no, this is more like the book than the Universal monster it, version of Frankenstein. But also, boy, Kenneth is. Oh, well, Kendall is is Kendall. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those. I and that's one of the things that I find real. One of the things that I find really interesting about that movie in particular is that it's a really like if you if you look at that adaptation compared to the jamie whale classic classic frankenstein you've got something where it's trying so hard to be so faithful to the book and yet it is not nearly as good an adaptation as as whale just going super queer on the whole thing right agree Agree. absolutely oh guillermo del toro finally did a shape of water so we got the creature of the black lagoon yes but there was no sex I mean, there was sex. Maybe that's the key is like, that you just take all these monsters and you just focus on making it all horny. Yeah, because oh, Mary Riley. So the Mary Riley was the one with John Julia Malkovich. Roberts. Yeah. John Malkovich. <laughs> and, yes, Julia Roberts was, Julia Roberts, was like yeah. the yeah. assistant or the maid or something of Dr. Jekyll. And mm. so it had like this, this uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing with John Malkovich. And it was very much like the Dracula thing where there was like this 
this very like dark, sexy romance and a lot of licking. Nowhere near as good as Dracula, but you know, John Malkovich almost sold it. Well, um, I think what you said earlier, Cole, is true. Like this period was just a period of horny movies. I mean, I looked yeah. up. I was thinking of some other ones like Fatal Attraction, Disclosure, all mm-hmm. during this time. And then we're not doing the horny movie anymore. You know what I mean? And right, right around that time when that movie came out, it was just like we're we're just nobody's nobody's having sex in movies well, there's, anymore for whatever there's reason. Very little in the way of R-rated blockbusters. Period. Now, like, true. Well, all the sexiness is on TV. Like all the you know HBO's got all the sex. I mean, and, okay, and Lifetime. I you joke, but Lifetime gets raunchy, and I'm just oh, like, yeah. I thought I was watching about. You know, I thought I was watching a movie about uh, the wrong babysitter. And now you're just, what are we doing? It also, just, it's all softcore. Those it movies is. Were, it, it's a girl in a bra and the guy is completely clothed and like 40 years old. Definitely the wrong babysitter. Absolutely. That was a genre that thrived in the era before internet porn. Well, I don't know. I, but I also think a lot of it, I mean, a lot of it had to do with international distribution too. Like mm. when we're talking about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When we're talking about theatrical releases that have to be acceptable in eight zillion different international markets or yes. studios don't want them. You know, right, I'm not right. I, I'm not necessarily gonna be one of those people who's like, oh yeah, and we're gonna blame this on a country that has different expectations of what movies are. Like just make movies for different markets and they don't. They make one yeah. movie and yeah. try to sell yeah. it to every yeah. single market. Absolutely. And so it really mm-hmm. diminishes you know, not just not just the sexuality of our movies, but also a whole bunch of different, you know, lines of experimentation and topicalities and all kinds of things that just don't happen in movies anymore because studios want one movie that they can sell in every single market. Yeah. And the, and the R-rated movies are just slasher movies. They're in, the R is for the blood and the gore mm-hmm. and sometimes language. And, you know, every now and then it's like, oh, it's R because two, two people with the same gender kiss. We're not getting sex. We've replaced it with violence, which is fine. But it's just like Dracula, this movie has both and both work well and serve yeah. the plot and are entertaining to watch. And, you know, we can get bloody and horny. Yeah. Well, I think I that think. that's the the fact that we have the, the bloody and horny stuff on TV mm-hmm. is a testament to that, like the, the movie market being trying so hard to be as accessible as possible to all these different like global markets and that's another reason that a lot of the more challenging and interesting movies coming in are from overseas mm, you know absolutely yep so that's a good point yeah so we're actually it's 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 interesting and you know so many like one of my my recommendations for this was going to be vampire hunted the bloodlust which takes scenes like shot for shot from this movie but they like they dial it up so far. Like they, the Castlevania show, like really, and bless them, bless them for it. Really want to be like on the bloodless level, and it's really hard to do that because it's Madhouse at like their peak. And Madhouse actually made that movie in English Ooh. for a world market. Yeah, so that movie, it's a, there's no Japanese dub of that movie that is original. It's like all it's all in English. And but they like they take all of the cool shit. From vampire, from a uh, from Dracula, like the the romance and everything, and then add all like the Castlevania shit. So you have like a wolf guy with a wolf mouth in his stomach, and like a tree chick and lasers and a fucking spaceship, and you know, like this is this movie that that movie came out in two thousand 
the the bloodlust wouldn't exist without this movie. So mm. you know we're now seeing like a lot of that come back from movies like this that are that are you know even though they were sometimes like this I wouldn't say every decision in this movie is successful in, in Bram Stoker's Dracula, but there are so still... many decisions. Yeah, it's, <laughs> there were a lot, a lot of decisions. It's there memorable. Are, there are more decisions per minute in this movie than I think any film I've ever seen. Other than like the, Mad that's God, why it works? Like I think that's why it works when the shit is so fucking goofy. Is that you're like, you yeah. know, it's not like Mad God goofy where you're like, okay, well his plot is optional, you know? Yeah, it, people you are still something acting. goofy, and the next minute you've forgotten about it because there's something else going on. Like, yeah, Wait, so I, th- this I is recall, the most movie. Yes, yeah. I recall sitting there in the theater a couple weeks ago and thinking, "Is this bad or is it good?" Like, no, it was, you know, when you, when you see a 30 year old movie, like I recently, for the first time saw Casablanca Mm -hmm. and I've been trying to go back and see all these old movies. People are like, oh, it's amazing. And some of them just like, yeah, it's actually amazing. Other ones I'm just like, you just like it because it's old. So I was looking at this, I was sitting in the theater looking at this movie and going, is this good? I think this is good. No, it's bad. No, it's kind of corny. Is it invincible? Because every, like you said, every 10 seconds, there's a new decision that makes you reevaluate your evaluation of the movie. Exactly. And I don't know if that's on purpose or accidental, but it all works. At there's least some me. stuff that I think works. There's some things like the shots in the, in the garden of the like rainstorm where the camera is just, it looks like it's just swinging from a rope that I'm just like, oh, fuck this. This is bad, actually. Then, mm. um, <laughs> you know, some scenes where they do some other equally crazy stuff. And I'm like, but actually, no, I like that. I think as with a lot of movies that are campy, bad and good just don't really apply. Yeah. yeah. I don't know that I would call it campy, but I think that, but I think that I agree with Jeremy and that like, it's a movie. I, I, I would say aesthetic rather than campy. Yes. Um, aesthetic in the like, in the like Tumblr sense of the word where it is its mm. own word. Um, mm. it, you know, the word. It's it got is, vibes. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, like, you're watching this movie that is aesthetic, you know, and so it's not so much about are we going to qualify it goodness or badness. It just is, and we can like it or dislike it. Yes, you you judge it by how much of a mood board it is. Yes, it's a mood board. You're right. Yes, it is a mood board. That's a great way to put it. I just remember sitting there like, is this one of those things that I remember being good, but it's not, you know, but you're right. It's, it's just a mood. Because when I was in high school, I was obsessed with two movies, this and Natural Born Killers. Oh. And that movie is a mood board and a half. That movie is the most aggressive Pinterest board I've ever encountered. <laughs> the movie always kind of makes me wish that Quentin Tarantino had just kept writing it and not directing. Yeah. Because, oh, God, like, yes. There's some things he does so well. But, like, that movie is lacking the smarm of, like, Quentin Tarantino-directed stuff. And yep. it works. Like, the writing works. And I think there's a lot of his movies that would work better if he wasn't behind the camera. Smarm is an excellent descriptor. Absolutely. I've been able to put it into words. I'm just like, there's something I don't like about the way this guy directs. His, uh, yeah. his movie Steak of X Body Spray. It's, well, it's like he's got his own gaze. It's not exactly male gaze, in which there is a lot of male gazey stuff in some of his movies, but it's not really male gaze. It's just Quentin gaze. Yes. It's, it, it, he's look, it's like he's looking in a mirror and it's like, I'm directing me. And you're like, yeah. 
There's other people that die. I feel like this is giving him too much credit, but it's like Hitchcock. Hitchcock just has like his stuff. And if you watch a Hitchcock movie, even if you don't know it's a Hitchcock movie, like a half an hour in, you're like, oh, this is a Hitchcock movie. Never mind. Uh, Like with the possible exception of Rebecca, which is like weird. To be fair. Weird in the canon of his stuff. But like he is so aesthetic. Like Hitchcock has his own thing in the way that Tarantino has his own thing in the way that David Lynch has his own thing. And like you can see the movie and be like, oh, this is this is definitely them. Whereas I I think the interesting thing about this movie is that it doesn't have Coppola on it. It's just so Francis Ford Coppola was like, fuck it. I'm going to make some wild shit that people would never expect from me. Like everything he didn't do and then did it basically. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Godfather and Godfather 2 both are so restrained and so precise. And so Mm -hmm. like, but then he also made Apocalypse Now. Yeah. 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 But Apocalypse Now still had like only one scene happening at a time. You know, Apocalypse Now is very serious. How about when there's three Winona riders all side by side? And the, the, triple, the, tri- the triple rider? And then there's like a Winona rider superimposed over a mural of Winona rider that doesn't quite look like Winona rider. And so they have like this spies. movie is so much fucking movie. And then, but I'm like, movie, oh. you said it. I'll, I'll accept it because at this point, I don't know what you're going to do next. And I'm kind of afraid. I feel like. Asking the usual question that we ask at this point of uh, would you recommend this just feels nonsensical at this point because I feel like we would all say yes, even if like, oh, yeah, maybe it's absolutely maybe we're not sure if it's good or not. It certainly is a lot. Yeah. Is it feminist? My answer is don't. (laughs) I mean, it's a good good answer. We talk about there being like this emphasis on female sexuality, but like. I would never categorize this as being feminist, despite like, yeah, it definitely being more feminist than the book. Yeah, it, it definitely sure. allows for women to be horny, but in a very male gazy way. Absolutely, yes, that's yeah. exactly what I was gonna say. It's the way men think women are horny. Yeah, you know, it's very much how men think women think about sex. You know, yeah. and. I don't know if you guys do the Bechdel test. I was just like, do they have a conversation about something that does not involve a man? And I don't no. think they do. Absolutely not. Unless you count so. them kissing, but they don't speak. So yeah. they have a conversation that is almost like, They're, hey, we like each other. You know, I love you very much. I'm very sick and I've got garlic. And but it's then it's like you miss John Harker. Oh, you know, they're constantly talking about sex. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Does it count though? Like, how do you apply the Bechdel test when you have two women who are talking about men where the subtext is that they're really talking about each other? I feel like the subtext is too sub. Yeah. At this point. No, I mean, I, you know, and I don't necessarily believe that the Bechdel test is good, is your be all end all of like, is something feminist or not? But is that like, okay, so we've got this movie and you've got two women who are only talking about men, but we all know that's not really what they're talking about. And here's the thing. Until you guys started talking about how the subtext was they're really talking about women, I'm like, oh, I didn't get that. Like, it it did not present itself to me. But now since you've mentioned it, I'm just like, oh, yeah, that makes... I'm telling you, I'm a late. I'm on the late. No, no, no. It, but it's, it's also very much like... I mean, and it's not the only thing that's happening there, but there are definitely points, I think, specifically 
with Lucy and Nina talking about the like, oh, you know, Jonathan really doesn't want me here. Like that, she's not talking about Jonathan. She's talking about Lucy. Oh yeah, right. in a yeah. weird way, it has yep. come back around mm-hmm. to the original subtext of the book being all about how like. He's describing men wanting women, but what he's really talking about is men wanting men. And somehow the movie has inverted that. He's definitely talking about how much he's into Walt Whitman. (laughs) Walt Whitman and cowboys. That Mina is a protagonist in the book. Like, we have her diary in the book. I think I think that the fact that we have her and then her talking, like, and then Lucy. Because I don't think Lucy has any sort of first-person stuff in the book. Oh, she! I get the real impression that Lucy doesn't read much. Yeah, she, well, no, I'm saying like reader. she doesn't have a, at the pictures. She's a doer, not a reader. She does yeah. look at the pictures in this movie. It's She's the like, diary. It's just something her mother. She writes things in her diary because she knows her mother reads her diary. So it's more like I picked flowers and I thought yeah. I I prayed and I thought about how chaste I am. Yeah, that yeah. yeah. Lucy is a, a good and virtuous woman. Exactly. I never think of sex. Can we just say real quick, the quote that Keanu Reeves says, and he's from his diary, which I, I think is from the book, when he was uh, traveling to Romania on the train, and he says, in my journeys, I was under the distinct impression that I was leaving the West and going to the East. He said that. That's a quote. <laughs> That's a quote. Now, I know that these are like, what they mean is like the big case of you know uppercase w west and but like the way that it's delivered he's like i traveled and i went from one place to another and i am so boring that i think that that's neat very much very much like you know i sat on the plane and then yeah. I took him. and the plane landed and you're like thank you I could see the people below and they were i had the small. distinct impression that i was flying to new york to Florida. <laughs> but th- that's why I say Keanu's del- acting, accent aside, his acting is good. That's Harker. Harker is just, he's a hospital wall. Yeah. He's- just, you know, it's there because it's got to be there. But at the same time, it's, do you notice that? It's, it's generally tried, but only wet when you don't want it to be. <laughs> God. Okay. That's as good as a place as any. I'd say we have to get to recommendations. T, did you have anything you wanted to recommend? Oh, yeah. So I'm going to say for everybody who hasn't seen it, watch the 1977 Dracula with Frank Langella. Because if you want to talk about horny, I think more from an audience perspective than from a movie perspective, it's definitely, definitely one to add to your uh, Dracula, I guess, canon. And then I think... In and the other absolute, like, I feel like absolute necessity for people who want to, like, see, like, all of the different facets of Dracula in film, definitely see Shadow of the Vampire. It's so good, and it's such a good, like, metatextual interpretation of adaptations of Dracula, and I won't say any more because it'll spoil it. Absolutely. But CG, what would you recommend? I actually didn't know about the recommendation section, but... I'm, I, I did think of something. Doesn't have to be Dracula say, related. Well, first I was going to say Van Helsing, the Hugh Jackman for a good laugh, but no, don't watch that. It's awful. I fell asleep when I saw that. I walked. I saw it three times in the theater because I had a Hugh Jackman thing. I'm T, sorry. That pro- T, you falling asleep means you probably are enjoyed it more than almost anyone else. Yeah, probably. But 
I would say what we do in the shadows season one, episode seven, because it's all about vampires and there's lots of cameos and it's very enjoyable. Even if you don't, I think it's episode seven. Which one is I it? could be. The three vampires get accused of killing a very important vampire oh, and they convene yes. the vampire council. Yes. And all these vampires show up and it's just fun. It's just a fun sort of acknowledgement of the vampire lore. Yes. And I think it's episode seven. I will double check. So yeah, the Vampire, Vampire Council. Council. Yeah. Vampire Council episode. It's that's awesome. That's my recommendation. Nice. Awesome. Ben, what have you got to recommend? Uh fuck it. We talked about it enough. Watch some like basic instinct. Check out Fatal nice. Attraction. Just watch any of the any of them Sharon Stone uh, erotic thrillers. Just give them a watch. I'll spoil it for you. Fatal Attraction, not feminist. Um <laughs> No. Not big a, surprise not, there. Not, Emily, you, you had your a little bit of recommendation earlier. What did you want to recommend? Well, Castlevania Symphony of the Night is Always. the best video game of this movie. Also, in, in a not Dracula-related territory, the Guillermo del Toro Cabinet of Curiosities series is so good. Please watch oh, it. Real it good, has, yes. It's every, it has everything. And, you know, the, the episode seven of that series is my favorite. And that's that's directed by Panos Cosmatos. So, you know, I am biased. And it also has Eric Andre in it. The Cabinet of Curiosities, it has all sorts of different directors. And it is all hosted Twilight Zone style. Okay. I have a couple things. I mentioned Queer for Fear earlier. I've recommended that before. But specifically, they have an episode that's largely about Dracula and about Bram Stoker. They also have a whole episode dedicated to James Whale and his four horror films. So those are definitely worth watching. I <laughs> there's there's a lot of things that I want to recommend for this, but in the spirit of recommending something that people maybe haven't checked out, we have talked before on this show about our love for Star Trek and specifically of Lower Decks. For anybody who doesn't know, there is a Lower Decks comic book now, which is being written by Ryan North, made by IDW. And in the first arc of this, he goes immediately for the throat because they get immediately into holodeck drama, uh, make fun of Picard's PI program, but eventually decide that they're going to try and uh, hit the same level as uh, Data and his Sherlock Holmes program by basically uh, bringing in Holodeck Dracula. Fantastic. Uh, in the Who publishes so, the Lower Decks? IDW. IDW. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, if you've if you've read any Ryan North stuff, Squirrel Girl, or uh, any of his dinosaur comics, many other things he does, and you, his, you put that Roman Adventures, which I don't remember what they're really called, but his, his Shakespeare, uh, your, yeah, Romeo and or Juliet, and to be or not to be. Yeah, both of which are great. But, you know, specifically for this group, I think the current arc of Lower Decks, which features Holodeck Dracula, is particularly something that everybody should check out. I don't know if they're making fun of Picard. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can cotton that. I mean, <laughs> the show Picard. I said Picard, not the show. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I mean, that's fair. On that note, actually, CG, why don't you let people know where they can uh, find you online if they want to uh, follow, hang out, whatever, talk with you? Don't find me online. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I am. I have opinions about things, but I also work with children, so we don't cross the streams. I'm on the show because I mean, Jeremy, I we go way, way back to where Tumblr. Yeah, I think so. Um, Tumblr or something, but I, I mean. If you, if you send me, right now. yeah, you can find me on Twitter at C, the letter C G 
the geek on Twitter and on Tumblr. Uh, I am private, so I might not accept your request unless I see that you follow people I follow. But yeah, don't find me on the internet. I'm good. <laughs> Would you like people to find you anywhere on yeah. the internet? <laughs> so I'm pretty much on every social platform, including some that I didn't know existed until like a week ago at Teaberry Blue. That's tea like the drink, berry mm. like the fruit, blue like the color. Yeah, you can find me in any of those places. And um, I don't know how much I'm going to be around because I'm going to be having a baby in two and a half weeks. So oh, if I don't get back congrats. to you, oh my God, that's so exciting. Or accept your request, depending on what the platform is like, that will be why. But yeah, you can generally find me in all those places. Right, seriously, congrats. so much congrats to you and yeah, Jay. Congrats. Yeah. Well, usually I run down everybody's handles, but uh, I guess considering the changes in where it's all a mess, it's a fire dumpster. Make a moth on Tumblr, mega underscore moth on Instagram at Ben the Con on Twitter still and Hive, I guess. Yeah, and I'm uh, still hanging around on what's left of Twitter at JRM58. I'm also that on Instagram. For some reason, I've decided to become Jeremy Whitley on both the Tumblr and Hive. So jeremywhitley.tumblr.com and hive i'm just jeremy whitley and so you can you can come talk to me there of course progressively horrified is still itself you can follow us you can support us on patreon at progressively horrified you can find us at our website progressively horrified.transistor.fm and on twitter at prog horror pod where we'd love to hear from you and uh, we would love for you to rate this wherever you're listening to it so that we can help us find new fans and Thanks again to our, our guests for joining us, CGT. It was great to have you. Yes, thank you. This was so much fun. I'd love to come back if, you know, you didn't find me too annoying. So No, we would Absolutely. love to please have you come back. back. Thank you so Both much for coming on. This yeah. was, You're welcome. This I was had a blast. blast. Yeah, super fun as always. Thank you for letting me come talk about Dracula. Thank you for coming and talking Dracula. Yes. Yeah, it's great to have you guys. And, and T, by the time this comes out, you may already have a baby. So congratulations. Good. Thank you. Thank you. They're welcome on the show, Thanks. too. Congratulations. Health and I hope everything is healthy and painless. Thank yeah. you so much. I hope it goes Absolutely. well. And thanks again to all of you for listening. And until next week, stay horrified. Progressively Horrified is created by Jeremy Whitley and produced by Alicia Whitley. This episode featured Jeremy, Ben, Emily, T, and CG. All opinions expressed by the commentators are solely their own and do not represent the intent or opinion of the filmmakers nor do they represent the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Mario Colo 6 and was provided royalty-free from Pixabay. If you like this episode, you can support us on Patreon, and you can get in touch with us on Twitter at ProgHorrorPod or by email at ProgressivelyHorrified at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.